0: Awesome! Oh, that's <laughs> what I should write to her in the next email. Oh, My sweet true. sugar magnolia. <laughs> <laughs> you, you definitely Ooh. should. She'll get that reference. She will.
1: She will. Uh, oh, that's perfect. What an introduction. <laughs> well, Bad Podcast, episode nine. <laughs> it is November 16th, Thursday, 11.09 a.m. And I'm Drew. I'm Brett. Welcome, guys. Good podcast today, our
2: first professor, and Mm. probably my favorite, and I presume Drew's favorite professor at Bridgewater Mm. State as well. We got Dr. Stephen Cabral with us, an anthropology professor.
0: Welcome. Thank you. (laughs) This is a first for me, so it's a wonderful opportunity to follow through on uh, the ripple effect of having had you in the classroom, and now you're putting me in the mic. (laughs) (laughs) Putting the spot.
1: (laughs) It really is a pleasure to have you.
0: What the spot, like Carlos Castaneda.
1: Oh, you know Carlos Castaneda?
0: No, I don't. He's dead. But <laughs> I'm still looking for my spot. <laughs> I have.
2: Actually, some guy over the summer showed me him, and I listened to him, and he's like talking about being a, a dreamwalker and all mm. that. I've been really into dreams lately. Uh-huh. Like, I, the other night, I actually had a dream where I was conspiring with an indigenous person to, like, take down the white man from the inside.
1: Ooh. <laughs> it was deep, man. <laughs> how are you going to take them down? What was the plan? He was talking
2: about how, like,. Like, we can't take them down by force, so we have to take them down by changing their values as uh, like a society. Subversion. Exactly, Ooh. man. Cultural subversion. It was interesting, though. Then one of the indigenous guys shot the watch off my wrist. Ooh. I don't know what that was like. Like, maybe he's like, you have to become less Western. Well, yeah, I hope
0: it was a Rolex. I <laughs> hope <laughs> it was the $30 Casio. <laughs> Still a symbol,
1: though. yes.
2: Uh, order, man, order. Yeah, like yeah. I've learned to live by the clock. Okay. I, I guess like
0: no in, clock. In 1968, I removed the clock. Really? Yeah. What made you? Um. What made me take the clock off? Um. It was it was a combination of what was happening in the 60s. Mm. Uh, I was a freshman in college. The Democratic convention had happened. Uh, a lot of the my classmates who are Honor Society students. Um, they used to read a lot more about current events than I did. They were highly politicized. Mm. They were reading about the SDS. They took to the streets. And being Honor Society kids, they got their ass kicked. Yep. It, it, was, it was astonishing how all these, quote, smart kids were getting their ass kicked. And mm. it made me like wonder, like, why did they put themselves on a line like that? Mm. And then in college, it was 1968, and I went to college to run track, Um, but I also said in my yearbook that I was going to run track in Northern Arizona University and get a PhD in anthropology, and all my classmates and teachers laughed and scoffed. (laughs) Well, I did both, but in 1968, it was the Olympics. And uh, my idols as a sprinter were Tommy Smith, Lee Evans, John Carlos and they did the protests at the National Anthem. And all the rednecks in a jock dorm were just like today, hang the fucking niggers, you know, was yeah. their attitude. Uh, but I came to their defense, but not really quite understanding the politics. And then I learned they were students of Harry Edwards, a radical sociologist at San Jose State College. And from sports, I went to academics, you know, I took the watch mm-hmm. off. Yeah, you know, I didn't care what time it was. And that was before Chicago did the song. <laughs> <laughs> That's really interesting cuz yeah. sports and like academics are
2: kind of they're similar in a lot of ways. We're like very like rigid, disciplined. Disciplined. Like mm. go ahead. What? Academics and track?
0: Yeah, in a way. Well, like rigid intellectualism. Well, that can involve a discipline mm. or you can take the easy man's route and stream of consciousness. Mm. Now I, I got to see two masters of the craft. One was Timothy Leary and, really? and the other one was G Gordon Liddy. Now, when did you see Leary? They, I saw them together at UMass Dartmouth. They were doing a road show in their senior year because when Leary got busted in upstate New York at the mansion uh, that was related to the Kodaks, district attorney for New York that busted him was G. Gordon Liddy, who later gained his fame um, with the uh, Watergate burglars. You know, and mm. he, he was a hardcore wow. spook. Wow. Now, <laughs> G. Gordon had a steel trap rational mind. He was brilliant, you know, very logical, very disciplined. Mm. And then this Tim.
1: Ethereal <laughs> <laughs> Tim.
0: <laughs> yep. But every once in a while, there would be this swirl, this crescendo, and like, whoa, he's on top of that wave. <laughs> you mm. know? Two very different approaches. You know? And I guess they became mutual friends, and they did this traveling road show, the yin and the yan of, of the cool. 60s.
2: Right there, my friend. We got there. <laughs> yep.
0: both, both vilified by different segments of the society.
2: We have, like, a new 60s coming along, I feel. Like, I feel like there's a lot, like, in, in, insofar as a lot of the ideas that were originally uncovered are now being
0: Redis- Rediscovered, revitalized by the, the, the grandchildren of the Baby Boomers.
2: Exactly, I mean, man. You which, can't,
0: Which is kind of nice because I remember the, the whole hippie trend was to go in the attic, look for your grandparents' old stuff from the 1920s, pull the shit out, and who cares if it doesn't match <laughs> it's funky <laughs> mm. <laughs> you know? exactly yeah. and, and it seems like the wheel has turned again another three generations spin 360 mm. we're back i used to think i was an anachronism in my own time because i came of age in the 60s and i was an unrepentant hippie all my life and now it's so pleasant to see that uh, i never had to change after all you know and it's nice to see that there's a whole new generation that is um, studying history, Mm. applying it to their present, and going, "Uh uh-huh. We need to know history because it gives you a
2: backdrop to look at all of these, to reference any new thing that comes along to. Yeah,
0: and the problem with life we live is it's propelled by the Industrial Revolution and now propelled by electronic technology and people are atomized and oh, my
2: God, are we ever.
0: And, mm. and so it's very difficult, and you can't even get reliable information electronically mm. because of the multiplicity of sources. Um, you really have to be astute and a sampler of a variety of perspectives so you can see who shines the light on what aspect and what do they leave in the dark. You know, mm. And it's only Absolutely. by comparative cross-referencing that you can make sensible, knowledgeable judgments about... People's uh, arguments, positions, viewpoints, opinions.
2: Yeah. There's always that narrative. There's always that secret yeah, the, narrative in there. Yeah.
0: The trick is, though, narratives require listeners. Mm. <laughs> yeah.
2: Absolutely. And like yeah. now we have these giants like Fox and everything who are not only per like. Broadcasting a narrative but like a, a mode of consciousness.
0: Oh, yeah, like yeah.
2: They're, they're ingrained
0: yeah. in these people's brains a, a right-wing reactionary electronic impulse, mm. you know, 24 7 and uh, And then the you know, the outrageousness of twisting the language fair and balanced anything, fear. but <laughs>
1: fear. Yeah like yeah. you have both sides just saying that the other is completely wrong yeah. and that there's no middle ground. Mm. No discussion, yeah, no, I feel no like dialogue. It, yeah. It's yeah. just about it's not about coming to a coming to an agreement. It's yeah. about trying to beat the other person, trying yeah. to make them look like an idiot. Yeah. It's no. so weird.
0: No respect. Truly. Truly. Yeah. That's the missing element that you see in much of the discourse. Hmm. Yeah. No respect, no civility. You know, no appreciation that somebody can speak your language, live in the country, and have a different point of view. And that they're entitled to it. And they're not to be humiliated and browbeaten and ridiculed and tormented and thrown out of the country, run over by cars, shot Mm. by, you know, fanatics. Welcome to America. I love America. Only in America. America has uh, so much. I didn't potential. pass the audition for West Side Story. <laughs> <laughs> you should have.
2: It has so much potential, though. Like to be that that cultural
0: mixing pot. Well, it's going to happen. It's going to come back. This mm. this whole Trumpian episode uh, is really um, something that's been building ever since Obama took the White House. Yeah, you know that white r- white. White, 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 white wing? Yes. White wing. <laughs> right wing. White, right wing. Uh, outrageous segment of the society mm. uh, that is intolerant. Yeah. And that uh, takes us back to 100 years ago. Right about this time, there was uh, a film, a silent film, by D.W. Griffith, who did Birth of a Nation. But before he did Birth of a Nation, he did a film called Intolerance.
1: Hmm. Wow.
0: You know, and to look at that, that cinematic piece about 100 years ago and look at what's happening today. You know, It's funny, these, these, these problems themes, don't go away. No. And what's interesting is they get revisited by subsequent generations mm. um, because the problems don't go away and haven't done the homework. Um, being propelled forward, you're not getting the messages from the generations that experienced it because mm-hmm. they're in yes. decline and sort of out of sync with the current changes and so the respect declines across the generations
2: and not, not to mention that how you brought up that atomization of us earlier Mm-mm. and like that lack of human contact like people just put these viewpoints out there and they never feel like they'll ever have to actually like physically back them up like they never understand the like physical confrontation that could come from their actions online no
0: you know, it's 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 safe. It's like electronic warfare in the ideological sense. Mm. All you're doing is mouse clicking. <laughs> <You know>? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> pumping in the coordinates, you know, pumping in the words that you know you know, incite people, mm. you know, and sitting back comfortably, not getting it directly. Getting it indirectly, but you can go delete, delete, delete. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. war now is like a nine to uh, five thing for people yeah, in America, yeah. and now it's propaganda wars. Yeah, you know, with the same ferocity as uh, all the fire and fury that nuclear missiles could deliver.
1: Oh, very true. Yeah, you know? yeah. Media has a it definitely has changed a lot about our generation. And if you look on like Facebook, you just scroll through a timeline, you can see. Because you can see all of your friends and their different viewpoints, but what they share is such a polarized version of the truth. You know, like the truth is hidden somewhere in there, but it's just so polarized to their viewpoint. It's it's really interesting to see how it how it kind of spreads like that. Because one person can post something, and all of a sudden it spreads like wildfire, not necessarily being true. So people will be like, "Oh, I saw it on Facebook. It's it's happening," but it's not. It doesn't necessarily mean it really happened. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Truth is just. Uh... A positive affirmation you yeah. know it's counterpoint the lie is seen as a negative
1: mm. yeah.
0: and the truth doesn't have to be absolute you yeah. know truth can be relative mm. you yeah. know and it, it's all embedded in language it's all embedded in negotiated agreements and understandings about that language and uh, that's that mysterious process. How does that correspond with reality? Mm. You know, material world. I should listen to Madonna. (laughs) (laughs) Now,
2: talking about relativity, do you believe in like... Like a a lot of days, there's a lot of moral relativism. Mm -hmm. Do you believe that that good and bad, there's not this true polarity? Or do you believe in the idea that every situation has a good and bad in it?
0: Oh, I, I think um, the idea of a, a binary opposition is, is how the human mind um, categorizes its, its being in the world. And I would tend to think that uh, the world is a, a lot more than just the binary oppositions that the mind can put on it. Mm. So I think the latter. Um, the good and bad is embedded in every situation depending on how somebody is apprehending it how somebody is uh, trying to make sense of it and then afterwards how they articulate that to themselves and others several steps all those hidden steps that people don't don't take into account especially Mm. with the electronic discourse you know Mm. it's the fiery words Mm -hmm. yeah the incendiary words the insulting language yeah, it's funny de- how we can frame things differently. Ver- verbal de- degradation. Mm. You know, it's negative energy.
2: Yeah, it, yeah, it truly is. Like, think of like whistleblower versus like rat. Like both mean the same thing, but like
1: to- you totally hit you differently. Mm. A lot of people don't even like whistleblowers, though. A lot of people just look at whistleblowers as if they're rats.
2: Mm. We, they're
0: so important, though. Like. Mm. Yeah, but they're... Noble rats. Oh, <laughs> noble rat. yeah. White a, rats. A nobility of rats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now
1: I, oh go ahead. I was just going to say it's interesting that um, years after well, not years after Obama, but years after Edward Snowden did that, that major leak, he's still living in exile in Russia, and Trump is doing everything he can to try to bring him back and imprison him at this point. Mm. And I think Obama actually had a chance to, uh, to grant him. What's the word i'm looking clemency. for clemency clemency yeah they didn't chose not to he cho- yeah he chose not to right before he left so it, it goes to show how the uh the higher-ups in our government truly feel about whistleblowers it's interesting
0: yeah especially when it's your know, watch them they're on <laughs> yeah. When, yeah
1: when they expose you for what you did yeah oh very true man because he 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 called out obama he oh yeah he did he called out obama hillary i mean pretty much we were, it was like mostly a Democratic um, mm. or a left-wing government that, at that point. So he, he's just mostly calling out the uh, Democrats. And I think that it's funny because a lot of the, for most of the time, Republicans really loved Snowden because they were like, oh, yeah, calling out Obama. But now that, now that Trump's the president, they don't want him back because he's still a whistleblower. Uh-huh. And if they bring him back, I mean, he still, had, he still leaks secrets like every couple months. He's, he hasn't released everything. It just trickles out every once in a while. And
0: still has the capacity to tap in.
1: Absolutely.
0: Got a global support network of his own.
1: Yeah. You know. He's certainly got people on the inside, too. Yeah. It's so interesting, man. I love seeing mm. it.
2: <laughs> now, what do you think about Trump's like, choosing to tweet? Like, do you think that that is a conscious thing where he can subvert like, the laws of America?
0: Or do you think that it's more of him just like, being a babbling idiot? Oh, God. Um, Insofar as I've never owned a cell phone, Mm. you know, I don't tweet. Uh, I find the whole tweeting phenomena um, reminds me of, like, the fucking hula hoop when I was a kid. (laughs) Everybody had to do it. Everybody had to have it, you know. Mm. Um, And this obsessive fascination with the electronics and every damn little character, most of which are misspelled at certain points in the morning because uh, he's less incoherent. Mm. And uh, you know a lot of it is electronic ranting and it's, um, it's certainly indicative that the man does not have the c- character uh, nor respect for the, the office he holds. He diminishes the, the power of the presidency by literally uh, magnifying his ignorance on a grand scale. Constantly.
1: Mm. Mm. Hulu hooping in front of everyone.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, and they're those that love his ignorance and they're entitled. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Absolutely. People yeah. eat his ignorance up.
0: Yeah. And Jimmy Kimmel has been exposing that by interviewing Trump people in the streets in California um, and asking them if Hillary Clinton should be impeached. And yes, she should be impeached. Yeah. <laughs> impeached and what? Well, that's the point. These people are so ignorant of the system, um, don't understand what they're hearing on the news, uh, don't have the education mindset or wherewithal to connect the dots. And it's frightening that there may be a lot of people who have been dumbed down by the electronics over the past 50 years, Mm. and particularly the, the rapid onslaught of the new handheld technology that everybody's obsessed with. Man, you know, if... My mother caught me doing that with my fingers. <laughs> She'd say, "Put that down; it'll grow." <laughs>
1: True. I saw something very similar to the Jimmy Kimmel. It's
0: electronic masturbation, in my my estimation. True. It really is. It's self-stim. You it know,
1: because they get that warm and fuzzy whenever they do it. Yeah,
0: you know, and it's triggering by biochemicals in your forebrain. Mm. You know, mm. and. You're going to have the carpal tunnel syndrome, problems with your cervical vertebrae here in New England. Attack people neck. are doing this in the yeah. wintertime outdoors all the time. Okay, kids. <laughs> <laughs> Wait till you're 40. You, you <laughs> yeah.
1: Just like headed head at a 90 degree angle. That's not, it's not, not good. Not only yeah. that,
2: but music blasting right into people's ears, yeah. like loud, like
0: talk about hearing problems, tinnitus when we're older. Well, there's going to be a lot of interesting side effects from the technology for the generation that was the, the first wave of experimenters. Mm, true. You know? Do you think that our adoption as a species of technology was a sum loss or a sum gain? Well, it's a, been a constant gain. It's just the, the pace of acceleration mm. of uh, the application of certain technologies at the expense of other possibilities. You think with all the science that we've refined um, that we could do a much better deal of quality control but now science is being purged f- by the politicians you mm. know who were bible thumping yeah. hardcore trump supporters it's frightening you know um but the pendulum will swing back you know because yes. I, I think there are enough people who um appreciate freedom of thought and expression to realize they don't want to be objects of persecution mm. and it's coming to that you're seeing people being targeted Muslims are targeted. Hispanics are targeted. African-Americans are being shot in the street. I mean, come on, you know And people are just Accustomed to it now. Yeah, it's the American way of life. Well, oh, no wonder. We're not the leaders of the free world anymore We're not free. We haven't been free since 9-11. We have the most prisoners in the world. Yeah Yeah. Most, highest and, incarceration rate. Yeah, and uh, and the rest of us are am faring much better. <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah, indentured servants. You yeah. know, well, anybody who's got a mortgage, anybody who's got a car loan, mm. anybody who's got a credit card, you are an indentured servant to the bank. You
1: are. You, know,
0: you don't own that until they say you do. Mm-hmm. You know, hey, you? keep at it. <laughs> keep those payments coming in, mm. <laughs> keep that nose to the grindstone. Something to get you up and working every day. Yeah. So I've never owned a cell phone. I've never owned a computer. Really? Never had cable TV all these years. Wow. That's yeah? impressive. Well, I needed the money for pot. <laughs> 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 that was pot talking. I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> oh, man. Earlier? T- oh, I'm sorry. No, no. Go ahead, Ben. I was
2: going to say earlier today, we talked briefly about your... Uh, your different ethnog- ethnographical, like, research in your anthropology. Yeah. Like, you said you went to Jamaica. You said you went to uh,
0: Morocco. Yeah. I, I, um, well, Jamaica and Morocco, you, pot, I think you can see there's a, a thread of connected. To, I think it's a hemp thread, by the way. <laughs> but um, <Hemp> work. <laughs> that research uh, was a, a spinoff of when I was at the Center for Alcohol and Addiction Studies at mm. Brown University. They uh, originally brought me on to um, look at the the drinking behavior at Portuguese festivals, Hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. because there wasn't much of a a literature on Portuguese drinking customs. And uh, my Ph.D. was studying Portuguese feasts, and they couldn't help but notice how many references there were to drinking in my Ph.D. thesis. Well, it was also at a time uh, when cocaine was peaking, And so at that point in time, people weren't just drinking at the feast. There was this generational split where there were all the coconuts at the feast, you know, who were drinking as much as the alcoholics because the Coke keeps you up. You know, and beneath that was a layer of potheads. Yeah. So there's all kinds of ritual use of a variety of psychoactive substances within the rubric of Portuguese feasting. Um, Now when I was in high school uh, I had a classmate who went to UMass Amherst and he became a drug smuggler. Uh, He used to go to Morocco and he would go to uh, Katama in the reef mountains and just get all kinds of stuff all kinds of crafts all kinds of different things textiles pottery uh, and several kilos of hashish mm. in the mix and it would get mailed to Northampton Massachusetts uh, and he, he had a, a hippie health food store you know you know organic bread you know you know get your Moroccan slippers because The soles of the Moroccan slippers were filled with hashish. (laughs) That's how it was smuggled in the old days. Well, that enterprise only lasted a couple of years for him because when he was 22 years old, um, he had gone back to the mountains, and he didn't return. He and a Swiss national were found dead in a car crash in the ravine of a mountain. Hmm. And so I always wanted to go to Katama to get a sense of... How did Jeff get into this, and what's this scene like? Mm. And um, it was astonishing because in the mountains of, of Morocco, and this is where hashish originated, which uh, I didn't know when Jeff was starting, but I did know at the time I was at the center, and I used it as my rationalization to them why I was going there. <laughs> yeah, but I was really curious about Jeff and his demise, mm. and. Um, the adults the elders the old berbers wearing their jalabas going to the fields with their donkeys fires on the floor in the house you know um very old school but the kids in their 20s and 30s were wearing parisian silk shirts you know um what was it cowboy boots leather-tooled cowboy boots. You know, mm. shit they shouldn't have. You know, boomboxes. They got money. <laughs> Mercedes. Mom and mm. dad got a mule. Boy has a Mercedes. <laughs> <laughs> it, there was a generation of international drug traffickers moving the hashish that mom and dad grew and processed because they wow. got the old recipes. Wow. It, it was just astonishing to see all of that. And... Um, I realized after a couple of hours there um, that you know everybody was trying to sell me hashish, and I wasn't there to buy hashish. I was there mo- m- mostly out of intellectual curiosity. And what I didn't realize initially, but I caught on, was when you say no to somebody there, you've insulted them. Mm.
2: Even if someone's offering to sell you something? Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, oh, wow. you're supposed to take them seriously and engage them. No, I don't mm. want to walk mm-hmm. away and I thought how many times did I do that you know yeah. and why are all those guys talking to each other and looking at me like they're gonna kill me <laughs> and I'm thinking of Jeff and I'm thinking uh, time to leave <laughs> 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 and uh, and leaving Katama just driving down the mountain roads if he were pursued it would be so easy to be run off the road because wow. those, those mountain roads had no rails Mm. there was no lights there was no median strip Right. it was a very crude highway through the mountains of Morocco and it just made me wonder it could have been accidental because the fog and the dampness on those roads you could hit a curve and you're gone mm. and if somebody's chasing you and you don't know the road like they do you're gone you know? and uh, Jeff is gone you know? that's insane yeah yeah So that was my research in Morocco, you know, mostly trying to find out about what caused my friend's demise, Mm. you know? And it was his persistence in being an international drug smuggler. (laughs) Import-export. Yeah. The cameras went out. Let us
2: just restart those puppies and we'll keep rolling. That's insane, though. I didn't know that that, it was, like, I thought you were going there. I didn't know it was, like, low-key to, like, figure out about your friend.
0: How long did you end up staying there total? Uh, I was up there a week, mm. you know. Figured it out pretty quick. And uh, somewhere in my notebooks, I'm not sure which notebook i where, is a recipe for making hash. <gasps> because I sat down with the old man, the old lady, and the kid translated. You know? Whoa. You know, he spoke Spanish. They spoke Berber. You know? I encountered hash in and, Maine for and, the first time. And I had talked to him in Portuguese.
1: Because I didn't want them to know I was English. Oh, American. Never. Mm. Yeah, because they, they try to trick Americans pretty frequently because we are <coughs> fairly foolish internationally. Yep, and so, Naubity. you know, Portuguese, they know the Portuguese, they have a history with
0: the Portuguese, they don't have any issues with the Portuguese. They hate the Germans more than the really? Americans. So during World War II, the Germans must have treated people like shit. Oh, yeah. You know, and uh, I was astonished. They, they do treat Americans better than Germans. Hmm. And, I, and I witnessed that. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's Boy. Wild.
2: Now you said you did a lot of ethnographic research in New Bedford a, as well. That's mostly on the Portuguese I presume. Yeah, that,
0: that's where I, I did the research on the um, basically the alcohol at the Portuguese festivals. It was started in New Bedford and there were two different festivals by Portuguese from different archipelagos So they're they're doing the same thing in the same church, but uh, the festivals were like night and day. One festival was sponsored by the minority community, and it's a a spectacle, it's an extravaganza. The majority community in the church from the Azorean Archipelago do their feast, but it's like small scale. And Mm. it's very church-centered, where the other one is like a carnival. Yeah, so there's two different expressive styles mm. of the same cultural tradition, um, which involved a lot of alcohol in similar ways, um, but the one with the extravaganza, yeah, you know, was uh, let's say more alcohol fueled than the larger population that drinks in the same way, but the volume of consumption doesn't match mm. because of the, the scale of the festivals. It's kind of like the Weechel where they were using the, what
2: was it, a Catholic church?
0: Yeah, so apparently the, oh. the Catholic church was built on one of their sacred sites. Wow. So they, they feel like they have the prerogative and right to walk into the Catholic church. And I believe they <laughs> do. <laughs> you know, and um, do their rituals at, at the altar and proceed with their pilgrimage. That was
2: that was such a cool video that you showed us in class. I loved that. Yeah, uh,
0: the sacred journey to Wiri Kuta. Hmm. You know the the land of uh, the magical deer. It's the deer, yeah, their deer subs. They subsisted off deer. Yeah, yeah, primarily when they were hunters and gatherers, the the deer was the, sort of the the prime animal in in that part of the world. Hmm. I guess the only other thing would be wildcats, and you know. You're gonna to prefer to chase the deer than the wildcat, yeah, because the wildcat's yeah. gonna chase you. <laughs> now, <laughs> yeah. I don't
2: understand where the deer blood fit into the
0: uh, peyote ceremony. Uh, well, the, the the idea is that they were deer hunters, and uh, the blood sacrifice of the deer is what connects them, okay, um, to the ancestors and to uh, to father son. You know, mm. um, but it's the cornmeal that I find interesting uh, in the Andes mountains. Um, coca leaves are chewed, but unless you have um, a lime base to go with it, uh, it doesn't out- activate uh, the coca alkalines. Mm. And so the peyote cactus is incredibly bitter and acidic, and I'm wondering if the powdered corn you know, on the surface of that um, has enough of a, a chemical transformation uh, to make it a little more palatable. Mm. You know, both on the tongue and in the stomach. Make the purge a little less. Yeah, but uh, anybody who's a newbie is is going to vomit. Um, And I suspect, depending on how much certain plants, even seasoned people, you know, will have to, like, do it again Mm. one more time. (laughs) You know, and uh, you will end up, being pretty focused for f- four to eight hours, if you eat, say, th- three peyote cactus that are about the size of a tennis ball. What do you mean by focus? Uh, well, y- y- your, your vision will be um, intensified. Your hearing will be intensified. It's like your, your normal senses are intensified. They're not distorted. They've mm. intensified.
2: It drives you into your consciousness. Yeah, and
0: mm. um, you do. Know, it's like falling in, you know. But yet, focused to what's there, and attentive to what's there, at the expense of all else. You know, the, mm. the peripheral vision is gone. Oh, it's very pointed. Yes. Yeah. You know, oh. Yeah, you know. and, uh, and the idea of uh, the dancing around the fire all night. Reminds me about uh, Fire on the Mountain. Yes, good song. And when I went to Dead concerts, there are always all these people swirling about the halls of the the theater. Because... They couldn't keep still because they were tripping. <laughs> oh, yeah. And you could go to a dead concert in 67, and you could go to a dead concert in 77, and the same population of 18 to 22-year-olds are swirling.
2: <laughs> it but does a, give you that, that but goal but, need. But it's need a different, different
0: generation. Mm. But they look like the other generation because mm. they've caught the look,
1: and they're the same True. age grade. It's just yeah. a different slice in, the, in time. Now, why do you think that uh, our our establishment vilifies and looks so poorly on psychedelics? When I mean, they clearly aren't. They, they clearly don't aren't deadly. You don't overdose on them. Um, no, nope. and they not addictive. Out, out
0: of all psychoactive substances, they are the least addicting. Hmm.
2: If anything, anti-addictive.
0: You know? um, yeah, it's been used in that respect. It was used to treat alcoholism. Uh, it's been used to treat uh, opiate addiction um it was used in therapy although so was uh mda and mmda Mm. you know and because people could talk about their their deep fears and and uh i guess transgressions without a sense of of guilt remorse or tension Mm. you're open and um whether the listener is equally receptive is a whole other matter. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> you know? I think there's a lot of unexplored territory there in yeah. therapy with psychedelics. I I, I think now that they're, they're doing more research with it. You know, there's been some lifting of uh, of the shackles that were put on psychedelic research and even cannabis research. Mm. Um, and whether it sees the light of day, if it doesn't have the conclusions that the reigning regime uh, endorses, it won't see the light of day. Mm. um, My last tour at the uh, Center for Alcohol and Addiction Studies, uh, I worked on a global cocaine survey for the World Health Organization. And um, I was just one of the grunts of the many people that were recruited to to do the legwork. And uh, the conclusions from the World Health Survey um, t- t- were not consistent with the Drug Enforcement Agency polis- policies. So um, there was never in the United States any real opportunity to promote that study. You know, um, to make people aware of those conclusions because um, the government actually squashed its circulation. Limiting it to a certain segment of academics, intellectuals, mm. not of all of whom agree with it, yeah, you know, and let it die with them, you yeah. Know. So, politics is a, a serious matter. Mm. Absolutely. Um, and now it's overriding science in a variety of different ways.
1: Yeah, I heard that um, Paul Stamets. He was on a uh, podcast recently, and he's a mycologist, so he he studies fungi, and mm-hmm. he. Specializes in a uh, you know psilocybin mainly. So one of the things he was saying was that he is granted permission from the FDA, I believe, to study these and, and propagate these and grow them. And he said he's been approached over the past you know twenty years several times by undercover DA agents that are trying to get him to sell them psychedelic mushrooms so that they can arrest him. Yeah. Like they're they're basically just trying to set him up so that he won't be doing the research anymore. It's insane.
0: Mm-hmm. You know? Speaking of research, uh, we're blessed living close to Cambridge because um, you've got the Ethnobotany Library at Harvard University, Richard Evans Schulte's, uh, I guess, Library of Ethnobotany. Uh, It's an incredible facility, and so it gives you the original research um, on psychedelics and other forms of psychoactive uh, botany around the world and uh, there, you've got all the scholarship. Um, you get incredible exhibits, and uh, and most people aren't even aware it's there. Mm. You know, so I think people at Bridgewater State, you know, you have access to these libraries with your ID card. You know, really? T comes right through campus. You know, it could be a wonderful. Wonderful afternoon. When, mm. when I was at UMass Amherst, Saturday afternoon was a special day because there were at least a dozen people from the dorm that would go for the Saturday afternoon tripping club. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You start at the bottom of Mount Tom, and then you get up at the top of Mount Tom, <sighs> and you crest. <laughs> <laughs> and admire the view. <laughs>
1: That's amazing. <laughs> and
0: talk to the spirits. <laughs>
1: Literally. <laughs> like
2: the Wheat Show. <laughs> I hope that these plant healers come back and like yeah. truly heal all of mm. these like shortcomings that our like species not only species, but country is facing yeah. right now. Bring us back to our roots. Bring us back like deatomize us. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Reconnect with the earth. Absolutely. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So I wanna thank you. I gotta get, head out. Absolutely, Thank please. You no, coming. the pleasure was truly all ours. Well, well, we'll see what we can do about recruiting more faculty. Absolutely, know, and putting them on the line. This has truly been an <laughs> amazing because I because I think I found my spot.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and we'd love to have awesome. you back anytime. All right, thanks. Thank guys. you so well, that much. Just about wraps it up. Thank you so much for joining us. Episode nine. Episode nine in the books. In the books.